0: Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. We will resume our study of this fantastic book. We're in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. We've already covered verses 14 to 15. This morning we'll end chapter 4 as we look at verse 16. Let me read this whole passage, starting with... Verse 14 of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who, can, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Lord, we continue to worship you as we now come to actively listen to your word, both the preacher and the people. Lord, we desire to hear your voice, to be cleansed and to be changed, to be equipped that we can go forward in Christ and become even more like you, Lord. We commit this time into your hands and ask, even as this text says, for your mercy and for your grace, Lord. For Christ's sake, amen. Daddy! Have you ever heard a a cry like that before? I would say to both fathers and mothers, if you ever tell your child when they go to bed at night and maybe they're not feeling well, they might have a fever. And if you say to them, son or daughter, tonight if you feel bad, or you're frightened, you can go ahead and cry out to me, that oftentimes then they could do that, even at 2.20 in the morning, they could cry out, Dad! Last night, Thomas had a fever, and so I said to him, as he was going to bed, if there are any problems, if you think you're going to throw up or something like that, feel free to cry out, Daddy! And, you know, I'll come. So I was awakened by almost 2.30 at night. Dad! Dad! And my, my first thought in my mind wasn't, yes! Thank you Jesus for, for the opportunity to help my son. It was more like, oh, I can't believe this. <laughs> I gotta get I have to preach tomorrow. Instead of having that attitude of, I get to be like Jesus. God was gracious and I was able to help, uh, my son. He was, Wandering around the house, and he was sound asleep. So he was sleepwalking. He does that sometimes when he gets a fever. And he was saying, he was doing his arms like this, and he was saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. God, help me. Lord, help me. I'm scared. Lord, help me. God, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And when he was a small child, sometimes he would sit up in bed and say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And I would just hug him and Put him back down. But now he's basically my size and my weight. And he's walking around the house going like that. So I was a little bit concerned that he might just go outside and start walking down the street. God help me. God help me. So I I just grabbed him like this and and, and held him and uh, eventually got him to sit down on the couch. And he never really woke up. Eventually he just laid down on the couch and went to sleep and woke up this morning like at 7 a.m. And sat up and said, Dad... What happened? (laughs) But I thought, in a way, that's a picture of this verse where we can have a night terror, a dream, and have a fever, and it can be scary. And we cry out, Lord, help. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And we see that here in this text where it says that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And there should be, for all of us, inside of our heart, this this cry of, Help me, Lord! Lord, help me! I need your help. To go forward in Christ, I need to cling to Jesus, and then to cling to Jesus, I need to cry to Jesus Christ, Lord, help me! And that's basically what this text here is teaching, that we... Ourselves have to, have to deal with our own remaining sin. We deal with Satan's temptations. We live in a fallen world. And there can be, like there is in this book, this temptation to let go of Christ because we trust Jesus for salvation. Life doesn't get easier. Life, in some ways, it did for these believers. It can get harder. And they were tempted to drift away from Christ and to desert Christ. And so the Spirit writes to them and says, you need to cling on to Jesus tenaciously. And one of the ways that you do that is you cry out to him, Lord, help me. And so we've said, if you remember from, I think, three weeks ago, since you have this divine sympathetic representative cling to and cry out to him so that you won't fall away but press forward. You can even, I think, say it this way to summarize verses 14 through 16. Since you have the best representative ever, cling to him and cry out to him so you can go forward. Have you ever tried to contact your representative, your political representative? Have you ever tried to contact them? I have many, many times. Even the presidents, I've tried to contact them. Normally, you just get a, an email, a pre-prepared email that an assistant wrote. <laughs> a button is pressed. One time, one representative asked to have lunch with me, but it just didn't work out uh, for him and for me in terms of timing. But in terms of a political representative, it can be hard to actually dialogue with them and say, this is what I'm concerned about. But that's not true of Jesus. Jesus, our Lord, is our great high priest who is always and ever ready and eager to meet with us. And I say representative because if you look at verse 14 where it says a great high priest, that is a huge part of what a high priest does. He represents us before God. So that's who Jesus Christ is at least one, one element of his work. So how can we keep going forward in Christ? How can we persevere in the faith, even if our faith is being attacked, and we can almost at times feel like is it worthy to go on? Well we grasp hold of Jesus and we go to the throne of grace. Verses fourteen through fifteen is grasping onto Jesus, how do you do that? You go to the throne of grace. Or we can say verses 14 to 15 is persevere in Christ, but you do that in a huge way, verse 16, by praying. Or you can say, hold on to Jesus with all your might. Well, you do that by hollering to the Lord, H-O-L-L-E-R. Have you? Do you guys ever use that word, holler? We, We do in the South, yeah. I don't know if you do out in the West. It's the idea of crying. It's crying out. And in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4, it says in both those places about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit we have in our hearts, and he cries out in our hearts, working within us to cry out what? Abba, Father. And it's more of this cherished idea. It's more of this, Daddy, Lord, I I, I need your help. Help me, Lord. And so there is this, clinging to, and then there is this cry out to the Lord. The way that we especially cling to the Lord is through prayer. But what does this mean to cry out? And so we're going to look at this with the time that we have this morning. Crying out to the Lord first. And there's, I think, five five different ways that we can cry out to the Lord that we see here. First, by praying consistently, like it's a necessity. And you see this in verse 16, where it says, therefore, let us draw near. That term is the idea of drawing near is getting closer to something or someone. And there could be throughout Scripture, it's used many different ways, even with boats, this idea of drawing near. There's a reference point, right? Maybe on a map, you're trying to go to some city, and you're approaching, drawing near to that city, but it can also be used as in reference to a person, getting closer to a individual or a person, and in this context, in prayer. Further, even this word, when it says draw near, it's one word. All this when it says, let us draw near, those four words are one word in the Greek text. And the word to come near has a preposition with it, which usually, and I think especially in this context, intensifies the term, and it's also an an imperative, which can make it even more intensive. So it's the idea, let us resolve together to really get closer to God, to the Lord, through prayer. And when you look at this and you see the word, therefore, therefore is linking this idea of getting closer to God through prayer back to verses 14 and 15. And verses 14 and 15 are saying, with all of your might, like you were climbing a mountain and you're on a rope and you begin, remember the illustration, you begin to feel that your fingers are, are, are beginning to slip and you just might, might, might let go and, and perhaps you do even slip a little bit, but the end of the rope down here is held by the Almighty Lord. He has you. And he's like you. He understands your weaknesses and your temptations. He also understands all of that together, living in a fallen world. And he's able to help you because he's not like you. He's almighty in his strength. And he's 100% pure in his obedience. So he is your great high priest who has the other end of the rope. He's able to, to hold you up. So even if you fall, he can bring you back up. Though I fall, I will rise Don't laugh at me, O my enemy, the Lord is my light. That's the end of Micah, Micah chapter 7. Well, verses 14 and 15 are connected to verse 16 by the word, therefore. And that's the idea that the way that we can actually cling on and hold on. Yes, Jesus has us. He's not like us. He is like us. But the way that we appropriate that ministry of Jesus is through consistent prayer. That's what the word, therefore, in verse 16 is doing. It's making a connection. You can hold fast to Jesus because he has all the success that you never had in terms of living for God. Jesus did it perfectly. He is 100% God, 100% man. He's for you. The means by which you obtain his ministry is through consistent prayer. That's what the word, therefore, is doing. It's connecting Verses 14 and 15 with verse 16. It's bringing out really the necessity of it. Praying consistently like it's a necessity. In order to hang on through the thick and thin and ups and downs through life when it's going really well or when it's going really bad, you have to pray. You'll do much, much better praying than not praying. That's how verse 16 is connected to verses 14 and 15. Now, sometimes I think what we're tempted with, but there has to be more to it than that. Life is so complex. There are so many difficulties in life for me to cling on to Jesus, to cling on to the, the faith, the faith, It has to be more complex than than just prayer. Well, certainly we need to read our Bibles and there's fellowship that we have in Christ. But here in this section, there's no technical secret that you can lay hold of by maybe joining a certain movement, by reading a certain number of books, by having a certain kind of rigid, disciplined life. All those things may help, but the foundation is that you pray and that you cry out, Lord, help me. Remember Nehemiah, when he was standing before the king, what did he do? He said, Lord, what? It's very brief. You can read Nehemiah too. It's just, Lord, help me. I need your help. It can be a long prayer, it can be a moment prayer, but it needs to be consistent, even here, consistent and persistent, even here in verse 16. Let us draw near is this idea of let us resolve together to do this as a habit of life. This should characterize our life, that we are going to always be seeking to get closer to God, especially through prayer. It's a necessity in order to hang on. Water is a necessity. Coffee is not a necessity. Every morning, there is a desire that I have to, I have to have a cup of coffee. I have to. I have to have it. And if I don't have my cup of coffee every morning, then what happens? I get a headache. <laughs> right? Right? Well, what happens if I don't drink water? Ever. I die. So, maybe I'm addicted to the caffeine in the coffee. Would you ever look at somebody and say, He's addicted to water! If we're not drinking water, however, we're going to die. Prayer to the Lord is even more of a necessity than water. It's even more important. It's our eternal relationship with God. Prayer is a necessity. God created the water. He he can get you water. Can you live without your cell phone? Yes. Can you live without coffee? Yes. What about even, let's say we're invaded by China and by Russia? At the same time. What do we need more than anything else? We need Jesus. And we get close to him through prayer. Even a human army. At your disposal. Could give you a great advantage. But an even greater advantage is prayer. And that's what this text is saying. Is get close to God through prayer. Therefore. To cling on to it. It's it's necessary that you pray. The God-ordained means to receive the mercy and the grace to cling tenaciously to Jesus is to ask Him for it. Number two, in terms of what does this mean to cry out to the Lord? How do we do this? Number two is by worshiping Him. And it comes from this same term, phrase, but not even a phrase, really, it's one word, but the word itself is it as a clause it has the subject and the verb in it and that one word let us draw near it is also this idea of of worship it's not just treating God like he's a a genie or a jolly santa but we understand that he is the holy, holy Lord God Almighty. As it says in Hebrews 1, he is the creator of all things. In Hebrews 2, he is the perfect man. He's our redeemer and our propitiator. He is our great high priest. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is better than the priesthood system. He is that final sacrifice. And so as we draw near to God, it is this, Lord, help me! Father, help me! But it is always with this attitude of 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 worship, of understanding truly who He is. He's unparalleled in worthiness. And that's how this word, draw near, is used throughout Scripture. You can even see it in the book of Hebrews, as it brings out the Old Testament context. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. People that were coming to worship the Lord. Even verse 22 Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And it's used throughout the whole Old Testament. I'm just going to give you one example from the book of Leviticus. You don't have to turn you, you can if you want, Leviticus 21, just to show you that this term, it's very common in the Bible. Chapter 21, verse 21. No man among the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect is to come near to offer the Lord's offerings by fire, since he has a defect. He should not come near to offer the food of his God. Twice has the idea of come near. The, the Greek word and the New Testament in Hebrews 4.16 and the Greek version, the Septuagint of the Bible That's the word that the translators chose to use there. That is, it's the idea where it says, draw near to pray, but it's also combined with this, this understanding of great is the Lord. He is greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. It's infinite. It's always with this, this humility and not this haughtiness of, God, I want it now. Give it to me now, right now. I demand i I, I claim this it 's with this humble attitude of a child that might be father. I need your help with this situation, please Lord, help me. you are almighty, you are all powerful, you are all wise you're all loving, Lord, help me. it is this idea of of worship and praise I, I think of psalm seventy three where the writer of this psalm was really being tempted by the riches of the world and all that they had to offer. And he was looking at that and the people there that were enjoying them. But then by God's grace, he saw that all of that would just lead to destruction. And it was vanity to trust And the world and the world's riches. And then he says in Psalm 73, in the midst of this, he says and verse 23 of Psalm 73, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Then verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 28, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And so there is, even amidst this writer, who even though he's being tempted, at least in part, you know, looking at the world and all they have to offer, but yet it's all vain, it's all going to end, it's all crashing down, And he takes time to reflect on who God is, who Christ is, who the Lord is for him. And again, this is part of this idea of let us draw near. It is prayerful that is not with haughtiness, not with demanding, not with grumbling or complaining, but the Lord, he's all wise, he's all powerful, he's all loving. He never does anything that's wrong. He is perfect. Now, this doesn't mean that there are not, again, brief moments of prayer. I'm not saying that you have to have an extended time of specific worship every time you pray. That's not this idea. And verse 16, I mentioned Nehemiah, who I think it's a great book to study about prayer. He had brief prayers, he had long prayers, he had complicated prayers, he had brief prayers. Whatever the occasion calls for it. But always it was with this attitude of humble, adoration, and thankfulness. And that's, I assume, why the writer, why the Holy Spirit, through the writer, chose this word of draw near. Lord, I I need your strength. It's when we cry out and we pray Psalm Philippians 4.13, where there's something in our life, some decision we're making, some course of action we've chosen some situation, and we say, Lord, your, your word says in Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, that strength is what I need. You are my strength. You are my portion. Praying like that is a form of worship versus, Lord, I, I demand, I claim, don't, don't let this bad thing happen to me. You'd better not, or, or I'm going to walk away from you. you. You give me what I need now. Well, that's not a worshipful prayer. In other words, we don't want to pout to God, but we do want to pour out our hearts to God. There is a pouting to God. And you can look at the different Psalms, and I don't think that's pouting, pouting, you know, and complaining, but rather we want to pour out our hearts. And you see this in the beautiful Psalm, Psalm 62, 8. Trust in Him at all times O people, Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. When you pour something out, a glass, a vase, whatever it is, a bowl, and you go like that, it gushes out. It just... And sometimes we can gush out and pour out to people, and that's not bad, necessarily. Sometimes that's needed. But the priority this passage is saying is that we should first and primarily pour out with who? Pour out to who? To God. Not pout. Not pouting. Not a complaining, bitter spirit. But just pouring our heart before him. Lord, this is who I am and this is all that I am, Lord. And I'm doing that because you are able. You're able, Lord. Lord. We've been, my kids and I, trying to memorize Bible verses. One Bible verse, for each book of the Bible. So we're on Second Corinthians. But I'm probably doing it in a way which <laughs> many people would say, you know, that, that, that's cheesy or dumb or that's not very good or that, that's not, you know, going radically spiritual. Because I'll do stuff like First Corinthians 6.18. I don't even do the whole verse. I'll just do flee immorality. Just memorize that part, kids. And then we'll talk about it. So recently, we are work, and we'll take a couple of weeks for each, each verse, <laughs> okay? Because my mind is slow. So recently, we're, right now, we're working on 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that you might have a sufficiency for every good thing. Well, if you look at that verse, you know I've left something out. Every time, no matter what I do, I keep leaving something out. But I just, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying all that to say this. Here's what I had my kids mainly memorize so far. God is what? God is able. He's able. God is able. And that covers so much of life. Because I want my kids to understand when we pray, why not praying to God with an attitude of, maybe, Lord, you can do this? He's able. Nothing is too difficult for God. And that's part of this would we draw near to him with this attitude of worship of, Lord, you're able. No, no prayer that I have is, is too big for you. It might be a wrong type of prayer, but it, it's not a prayer that's ever too big or too difficult for you to answer because you are able. You're able, Lord. So we cry out to God with consistent prayer, with worshipful prayer. Number three, by courageous, confident candor. Three C's. I'll say it again. We cry out to the Lord by courageous, confident candor. And I'm using those three words to explain here what it says, draw near with confidence. That's another C word. So, five C words. Cry out to the Lord by courageous, confident candor describing... At least the numeric and standard says confidence. Other versions might say boldness. Other versions might say assurance. That's why I'm using these words here. Three words to describe this one word. Courageous, confident, candor. That is, with with God, through Jesus Christ, to the Father, we can use candor when we speak and pray with Him. Being confident, that he hears us and will respond. And we can pray a type of prayer that is courageous and bold. Now, this word itself, if you look at verse 16, where it says, pray with confidence. That word itself, have you ever thought, you know, confidence, confidence in me? No, confidence in God. But it's not the word for, for trust. It's not that word that's being used. It's a word Two words. It's a compound word. The first word means all, and the second word, many of you know, is "rema" Or "arema." Have you heard of that word before? Uh, it talks about in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the sword of... Uh, the uh, Let me just get it 100% correct. Ephesians 6, where it talks about Uh, The sword, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There when it says Word of God in verse 17 of Ephesians 6, it's talking about the, it uses the Greek word rhema, which is this word, which is a spoken, specific utterance. Logos might be more general and more broad, but the rhema is this specific utterance that is spoken. And this word is, basically it's, pan or pas And the the root of this word, with confidence. rema again means utterance. Pas or pan means all. So uh, with, with, with every utterance, you can go to the Lord. In fact, this word was used, in a political sense, in the day in which this was written. That is, that if you were a citizen of Rome, It would have been in the past, before Rome, if you were a citizen of Greece, you had the privilege and the right to say whatever you wanted to say and not be punished for it. That is the the background of this word, that you could be bold, courageous, and have confidence that you wouldn't be put to shame because you brought something up specifically, and maybe challenged the state. It's very similar to our First Amendment, that we have a right to say, this is what I'm thinking about this decision. This is what I think about this Advent. Well, we have, even better, we have a privilege and a right to go before God to say, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. But that right and that privilege was bought by the blood of Jesus. Not by any just blood of man. It was by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to give us full entrance to God the Father that we can say, with confidence, not based on how we lived our life, but how He lived His life, how He died on the cross for our sin and rose again. And so that by His death, I have the privilege, and because I, I'm justified, because I have the perfect righteousness of Christ, not in a haughty sense, but there is a type of, of right that I have from Christ's righteousness laid on me to say, Father, this is what I'm going through. And, and it's really, really... Difficult, and I don't like this trial. Lord, please help me, Lord. I, I I don't understand. And so we can have a type of frankness and honesty with God, not not with bitterness. Again, not with pouting. It's a holy honesty. It's a justified frankness with the Lord of uh, what we're going through. Again, the the book of Psalms would be a a great book to study in terms of just seeing some of the Psalms on how they complain to God, but the type of complaining is a a sanctified complaining. Like in Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And throughout the whole psalm, He's speaking to the Lord and speaking to himself. Verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? O my God, my soul is in despair within me. But throughout it, you can see verse 9, I will say to God my rock. Verse 10, as a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. What they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 11, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Even verse 43, uh, Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, plead my case, O deliver me. Verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? So there's many psalms like this, where you see the psalmist is complaining and bringing up the despair that he has in his soul, but it's always with, again, this worshipful, you're God, you're the Lord, you're perfect Lord, Give me your grace and your mercy. You are my refuge. You are my tower, my castle, by which I hide in, Lord. But all that is in our heart can be poured out unto the the Lord. Just an example of this. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Look at this with me. Verse 14. So Jesus then said to them, John chapter 11, verse 14, So Jesus then said to them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. Plainly is how we should pray to the Lord with the idea of whatever is in our heart, we can speak it plainly to God. God knows it already, right? God knows us and what we're thinking more than we know what we're thinking So we might as well just say, Lord, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm tempted with. Lord, it's gross. It's disgusting. But Lord, you know. Lord, help me. This word is even used, I won't take the time to go through it, but it's used like in Acts 4.13 to talk about boldness of speaking of, of Peter and John. Speaking with confident boldness, not confidence in their self, but confidence in the message and the one that redeemed them. In the same way, when we pray, there is confidence, not in who we are, but that God listens to us because of Jesus Christ and because then His blood, has His death has covered me and because I am justified before Him with with humility and with trust and a type of brokenness, I can just pour out my whole soul to God. I, I can gush upon Him. Again, it's not demanding things to God that I want him, that he must do this, and a type of haughty claiming it, but rather it's exposing my whole soul to God. It is a blood-bought freedom of speech with God. That's a strong cry. Even men can do this. There are times when certainly... We get overwhelmed by, by life. And both women and men can have a strong cry. And usually after you cry, most times do you feel terrible? Most Most times, not saying every time, but after a lot of times, after you cry, you feel somewhat better. Especially if you're crying out to the Lord in prayer. And you just expose all that's in your heart. Lord, you know this... Already, I'm going to share it with you and ask for your intervention and for your help, Lord. Lord, I need to take refuge and somewhere I'm going to take it with you. Lord, here's what's, what's going on. And I'm going to trust in you. And so you pour out your soul to him. That's this idea of, of confidence. It can be boldness. It's courageous. That is, you're going to be go to God You go into the throne of grace and you're going to be bold and courageous in terms of, Lord, I need help with this situation. I can't do it myself. You're going to have to do it through me, Lord. I ask that with uh, thankfulness and humility. Lord, do this. Here's what's going on. Here's the wickedness of my soul. Lord, I, I need you. This is crying out to the Lord. But Fourth, and there's a lot in this passage. Fourth, there is a place that we go and it says here, if you look at verse 16, the throne of grace. We seek dire help with a type of directness with the king of kings. If we were speaking with somebody that might be considered to be an elite or or a big shot maybe a CEO, uh, maybe an angel, maybe a, a high politician, maybe a popular, well-known preacher. There might be this kind of... At least my mom and dad would say when I was small, Tom, watch your your words, and here are things you can't say, and here are things you can say with this person. Okay, You have to be top-notch with how you talk. And even, you have to, you know, don't use slang words or anything like that. You have to have the utmost correction of, of talking and speech when you're talking to this person because of who they are and their job they have. Well, when you look at this verse, this verse has said that we go with confidence. Again, that's this this holy frankness, this candor that we have with God that's humble, but we go to the throne of grace, to the the one that is the king of the universe throne, the one's the king of the universe, the one that chapters 1 and 2 has said created the world and died on a cross for sinners, every, every sinner that trusts him. This one, you have a type of direct access to, and you can be direct with him. You don't have to beat around the bush. But you do it at this place of authority. That's the idea of throne. It's not that God has a throne of grace here, throne of judgment here, throne of righteousness. It's not that there's all these actual thrones of different attributes, but rather it's saying that the king of grace is the Lord. The king of grace is Jesus. And so when we pray, we can be direct with him, with humility and some brokenness. But it's because we're standing on and before his grace. This is how we pray. This is the the basis of how we pray. We pray not not based upon our, our Our grit. We pray not, Lord, because I'm clinging on so hard to you. Therefore, because of that, I pray, Lord. No, it's actually my hands are slipping. (laughs) It's not because I have so much fortitude, Lord, that I need you. It's because I don't have the fortitude that I need. Therefore, I come humbly before you and I stand in the presence of your grace. It's not because I'm good that I pray, that I can enter into this throne room, the king's throne room. It's rather because you are a gracious God that I can stand here and pray. And so we come with this type of of humble attitude. And this is, again, I've mentioned this a few times, I think in the past uh, two months or so, Romans chapter 5 Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom also we have obtained an introduction by faith and to his grace and to this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope and the glory of God. That is, I, I am never, and you are never, worthy enough to be heard by God. I am never able successfully to point to myself and say, Lord, because I I didn't yell at my wife, I didn't yell at my kids, I only kicked a dog one time, Lord. So this week, Lord, right now, it was the best week of my life, so now I'm worthy enough for you to hear me. No. I'm never approaching God because I'm wonderful. I'm approaching God because he is wonderful and his grace. And because the Savior wonderfully died on the cross covering my sin and paid that price. He is, Jesus Christ, my great high priest. And when I trust him, all my sin is washed away. And so it's by grace I stand in his presence. This is the motivation to to cry out because you can be at times we're hanging on to Jesus desperately. But I'm not good enough to even talk to God he he won't look at me he won't pay attention to me he won't respond to me he he won't love me anymore cuz i'm so bad i'm i'm so wicked and so you let go but the the reality is but yet we're sinners Christ died for us we didn't love him first he loved us first it's not because you are Less wicked that Jesus loves you. Even though you are wicked, God pursues you. And that the gospel saves you. And so we pray, not because of our grit, not because of our goodness, but because of his wonderful grace. And he is the authority, the king of grace that's the idea of the throne of grace we stand before the one that is master of the universe and we come not to the throne of law saying I've obeyed your law but rather we come to him and say Lord I have not obeyed your law and that's why I need your saving grace your sustaining grace your your keeping grace your eternal grace every day, every minute, every second I need you all the time to be gracious to me Lord thank you Jesus this is this Attitude that we come by. This is what it means to cry out to the Lord. For by grace, we have been saved. Ephesians 2, 8. And it's the idea we have been, and we are continuing to be saved by His grace. And so we always have this recognition During the worst day of my life, let's say in terms of sin, that would be the best day for me to pray. If I have a horrible day, it's not, oh, I had a horrible day today. You know, I sinned against my wife. I sinned against my kids. I sinned against my friends. Didn't read the Bible today. I haven't prayed. Okay, forget it. Today, I'm just going to step away from God. No, it should be the opposite. Because I've been so bad today... 100% 100% I'm going to pray. Why? Because God is a God of grace. Is there anybody that is more filled with grace than, than God? Is there any king, any ruler, any authority that would be more gracious to you than the Lord? Never. This is what it means to cry unto Him, to cry out. We cry out to Him and stand before Him based upon His grace. And then finally, number five, this crying out to Him involves trusting Him for the right help at the right time. Crying out to the Lord is trusting Him for the the right help at the right time. Today, after church, you may be walking to the parking lot and maybe you have a handful of Bibles, maybe some of those yummy things over there on the table. You have all this... Maybe you took like five of them before anybody could see you. You just... Not that I've ever done that. But you stuffed them in in the bag. Yeah. (coughs) And you're carrying them like this. And because I'm such a, a wonderful individual, I see you leaving. And so I want to help you. So I take a life saver, you know, one of those circle white ones. And you're walking, and you see me, and so you start to walk faster. Faster, I throw it over you. Now, am I really helping you? That could actually hurt you, right? You could fall, break break your head. I wouldn't be giving you the kind of of help you need. At that right moment, have you ever been involved, in other words, in a situation or something where somebody tries to help you, but it's the wrong kind of help? I'm joking about somebody taking the food, in case somebody's wondering. Please, nobody come up to me and say, were you talking to me? I'm exposing myself. I've done that, okay? I, I'm the one that takes the food in my bag. It's me. Oh, somebody else confessed <laughs> But there have been times, I'm sure in your life, where somebody's tried to help you, but you didn't want that help at that time, and it was the wrong kind of help, right? This verse is saying the opposite. The part of crying out to the Lord is we cry out and trust that God will give us the best kind of help that won't hurt us, but actually it will help us. And even if we're doing something that isn't bad, especially, that is bad, especially if we cry out then, Lord, help me. I'm so tempted and I'm involved in this. The Lord will give you the best help at that right time. And it will be merciful and it will be gracious. That's the point of this this verse. Mercy generally is the idea of God's compassion, especially not giving you what you deserve, but actually relieving your misery. Grace is... Giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve and being kind to you. Where grace is giving you what you don't deserve and even giving you more riches, love, and power and enablement. And he says he'll give these, this verse, he gives this to us to help in the time of need. Some versions do a better job. It's the idea of a well-timed help. A well-timed help. For example, I, I love this. He's long past dead. One of the best Greek uh, teachers ever was A.T. Robinson. Um, his word pictures are fantastic. He gave a little uh, paraphrase and said, at the nick of time. And I'm sorry. I have, no, that's not a good paraphrase. It's not at the nick of time. Because the nick of time, at least for us today, maybe it's different for him. And the nick of time is, is can be understood almost like at that last moment, right before the darkness fully came and the light was stuffed out and you died. Right then, help came. You know, kind of like Gandalf and the two towers, left all the horses coming down the mountain right before the end. That's not this idea. It's not that God is going to wait. I'm going to wait to the last moment for Tom. <laughs> I'm going to get him this time. I'm going to teach you, Tom, trust me all the time. So he waits. That's not what this verse is saying. Rather, God comes at the best time. God gives us that mercy, that grace, that grace, that relieving compassion and whether it's physical or spiritual, and even that grace, that enabling, that power, that love, not just at the last moment, but at the exact time that's best for you, for us. Now, there is a sense in which, at least I'm tempted to respond, but there's been many times when I've prayed, God doesn't answer my prayer. God doesn't give me the mercy and the grace when actually... It was best for me. Have you ever thought that? I've thought that. Lord, I need this mercy. I need this grace. I need this compassionate release from this situation, mercy. And I need your love and your strength and your enablement and your grace right now. Now. And yet it doesn't come. Is that true? Have you prayed that way? And it seems like God doesn't Do what he should do? At the moment that you think he should do it? Yes. But that's because we're not as wise as God. We're not as good as God. God, he invented wisdom. He invented knowledge. God's timing is not our timing. And he is the king of grace, but he's also the king of goodness. There is a better time and a more good time a gooder time, that that God has to answer our prayers with mercy and grace. Often, that is not our time. God's timing is 100% perfect, and so we trust Him. This is why, at times, I've quoted that song by the Sweet Comfort Band, perfect timing, not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. He's got perfect timing. And the song even talks about he holds the whole world, the whole universe in his hand. He's got perfect timing. That's the idea of mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Well-timed help. Even the word for, for time is you kairos. You is the idea that EU is the idea of good. Kairos is time. And the well, it's a well-timed. Good time. The the best time. God knows when we need his mercy and when we need his grace. And so there is this trusting element of God. Here's my problem. Here's my situation. Here's the problem with my family and my loved ones. Lord, I, I bring it before you. I'm going to trust you. And even I'm going to trust your timing with when you work and, and when you're moved because you're all loving, you're all good, you're all wise. You're perfect, Lord. My analysis of when I need mercy and grace or when somebody else needs it is not as accurate as your analysis, Lord. So I'm going to trust you, Lord. You're going to be perfect in your timing. Thank you, Jesus. Would you trust the Lord to give you what you need at the best time? He's wise, he's good, and he's able. Now as we look at this text, Hebrews 4:14 4, through16, just a, a brief question: Do you want to desert Jesus Christ and go to hell? Who wants to do that? Raise your hand if you want to forsake Christ and go to hell forever. Nobody wants to do that. And so this passage really is telling us how we don't do that. The Greek scholar I recommended, I, I quoted, referred to, also says this. Instead of deserting him, make daily use of him. Instead of deserting him, make daily use of him. Cling to him and cry out to him. Grasp onto him, go to him. Persevere for him and in him, and pray to him. Hold on and holler to him. And this is how we go forward in Christ. We go forward in Christ, and we don't forsake Jesus. And even he says this in in the Gospels, by being like children. There is an an essence of our faith, a, a part of it, where we cry out, like a child in the middle of the night when we're scared, when we're frightened, and we say, Abba, Father, help me. Lord, help me. When's the last time you've cried out to the Lord from your heart, Lord, help me. Help me, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you invite us to cry out to you. That you invite us to be honest with you, to to have humility, to not pout, but to pour out our heart. But Lord, we can be frank with you and be direct with you of what we're thinking and what we're going through. And we thank you that you will respond to us at not necessarily our timing, but the best possible timing. Thank you, Lord, for this truth in this verse. May we cling to you and may we cry out to you because you are worthy, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Christ's sake. Amen.